God, we recognize that you are that you are omnipresent, God, that you are in this room right now. You are in our midst. And so, God, we want to say, not only, we're not, we're not going to ask you to be with us, God, because we know that you are. What we are going to tell you, God, is that we want to recognize you right now in this moment, maybe more than we have in this entire day, listening to you, ready to receive what it is that you want to tell us, whether we're kids and moving in the back in a few minutes to hear what you have to say, or whether we're just right here in this room, hanging on every word that is in your love letter from us, from you to us. God, we're ready to receive it. We're ready to worship you right now in music and just tell you how much we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're in this series on heroes tonight, a hero's mindset, new day, same God. And uh, we come upon this, uh, this particular uh, passage here in Hebrews eleven thirty. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after being encircled by the Israelites for seven days. Um, so we're in that, in that particular scripture, and I'm thinking about that this week and thinking about the life of Joshua. And I thought, well, how easy it would be to just launch off into that story. I mean, it's mentioned there, right? But it wasn't just that story that I think brought Joshua into this hall of faith. As a matter of fact, I think it was this life of faith that he led, so much so that when you really think about it, I mean, he's one of only two that wound up going into the promise. Moses didn't get to go in, you remember. Joshua went in, a man of incredible faith, a man of incredible courage. I wonder what we could learn from Joshua, maybe in what happened after the walls fell down. Well, let's back up just a little bit farther. Uh, Anytime I get the iPad at my house, my kids know it's dangerous, especially if I start doodling on it. So I'm just going to uh, doodle a little bit here and give you a little bit of a visual. There's the Jordan River. And so the Israelites cross over it. They come in and they see, uh, well, they build a little uh, memorial right here, right? They come in and they see the city of Jericho. Good. And so uh, God says, you can take that city and march around at seven, blah, 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 boom, it's gone, right? And so there's this other city right up here. We'll just put a G for it, Gilgal. And that's where, after they conquered this city, they went up to this spot right here, all right? Uh, you follow me so far? I mean, this is high-quality mapping right here. You can use this at any point if you like. Matter of fact, some of you may want to take a picture of this later, but I'm just saying. Um, now, there's also this town right over here, uh, uh, AI, artificial intelligence town, and then there's another, uh, well, uh, well, forget that mark, that's just a fun mark right there. Okay, uh, but there's another town right up here that's Bethel, all right? And uh, so here's what happens, very interesting. What happens is the, um, the Israelites are hanging out here in Gilgal after they've taken out Jericho, and they're all shouting, Joshua, Joshua, he's the hero. He fought the Battle of Jericho. Josh fought the Battle of Jericho. That's where that song started, actually. It was right there um, at Gilgal. Um, and then, and then, and then, they're, then winning, you know, it's Charlie Sheen. No, it was them right there in that moment. Military hero, leader of leaders, one of only two people with Moses who end up stepping foot in the promised land, faithful, courageous, optimistic, deservedly in the hall of fame. He's a hero. He has the heart of a hero. Joshua is thinking big. 
He's just, he's just jumped over. I'm sorry. I just, what? wow. He, he jumps over Jericho seven times, so to speak. And, uh, and now he sees this city, artificial intelligence, right here. And he's like, hey, the piano, you know, the lady, we can take this. We can do this, right? And so here comes this. And they, you know what? We could do, I, I could do this in my sleep. I'm just going to send like two or 3,000, right, to take them. And so they come in, and AI goes, nope, I don't think so. And like fly swats them away, whack, you know, and like wipes them out and like sends them back home. Oh, you know, poor tail between the legs. They go back to Gilgal, right, or right around there, and uh, 36 people die. And in that point, Joshua is like cratered. I mean, he is like emotionally spent. He gets clobbered by a city that they totally underestimated. And God meets him in this moment in Joshua chapter 8. After the piano has slammed over him and the little old lady and her dog. And Joshua's experience in this moment reminds us that when God leads us to something new, which is what he was leading Joshua to, in this city right here, he always gives encouragement. Joshua 8, verse 1. The Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid or discouraged. Take the whole military force with you and go attack Ai. Look, I have handed over to you the king of Ai, his people, city, and land. A couple of uh, years ago, our church enlisted the help of several people who they pulled together to create this long-range planning team, right? Uh, the goal, uh, to make long-range plans, thus the name. Stories were starting to surface about people who were checking things out here and then leaving and not coming back because there wasn't room, 80% rule. When the room is 80% full, there feels like there's no seat. And so like that whole thing is going on. They're going into the children's area and it's like, oh, you know, this is real uncomfortable. A lot of kids in there. You know, the kid per square footage ratio is like out of whack. And so, you know, it's, it's cramped. And, and, and what had been built only four, four and a half years before Victory, the building, great things. Finally, a building of our own. And then the building of West Point, providing a place for students and adults to classes to meet. And now a new challenge out of space. What next? And so through prayer and careful planning and vision casting and group discussions, we end up with a decision. The church unanimously says, we're going to build Time to finish the base camp. You may have heard that picture before as we've described it. It's like you go to Mount Everest and you're going to climb to the top. I'm probably, I was probably the closest to Mount Everest I would ever be when I was over in uh, Siberia. Uh, I didn't actually see it, but we flew kind of, well, anyway. And so it's like here's, here's, the, here's the mountain. And on this side, it's like 17,000 feet is base camp. On this side, it's like 18,000. But e- either way you get to it, base camp is around 17,500, Right? And it, it's a trek to get up to base camp. I mean, it is. If you've climbed any of the 14ers in Colorado and you finally get to the top and you're looking out, you're like, this has been a hike. 17.5, go three and a, three and a half thousand more feet up, there's base camp. And so we recognize, you know what, there's been almost 10 years of base camp building and establishing and getting this set. And we're going to finish this thing out. 
we're going to maximize this piece of property, and God's given us 15 acres here. Well, he gave us 17, but then the road decided they wanted more lanes, and so they took back a couple. But we got 15 acres here, and we're going to maximize this space, right? We're going we're gonna to build what we can with what God has given because we believe he's put us here in this place, not some other place, but this place to be the base camp. It also made sense as far as the whole sending com- component because now base camp gets established and what happens? Well, now we're strong. We're stronger to be able to send and be that sending agent of additional churches. There have been 10 different people that this church has launched into church plants over its 11-year history. But we want to do more of that and we want to do healthier even startups of that. But we needed to have a larger base, base camp to do it. So here comes this auditorium that's about to come online and only just, wow, less than three months now. And it's going to double the space that we can seat in this particular room and give us more nursery and pre-K space and all that stuff so that we really are primed and ready to be the optimal sending agent we believe God's gifted and created and purposed our church to be. And so the church approves of the plan, encouragement, and the money is pledged, encouragement. And halfway through the capital campaign that we called the journey, half the money that has been pledged is received. Encouragement. And then God leads us to begin thinking in that whole process of, well, what are we going to do? I mean, there's this glass ceiling, an 80% rule, and how do we, you know, what, what do we do? Well, why don't we start another service? Well, when are we going to do that? I mean, we already got one at 825 in the morning. I mean, I don't think they're going to come after lunch in this particular environment. People want to take a nap or watch the Cowboys or whatever. But what about, well, let's see, can we go earlier than 830? No, that's like insanity. What about Saturday night? Saturday night might really be a really great thing for some people. And as we're praying and thinking and planning about that and wondering who might do that, maybe people who are looking for an option that fits their family schedule better, maybe people who are used to doing church on Saturdays in other places or in other denominations or in other faiths, maybe because the style is a bit different here than what happens on Sunday, it's going to be appealing to some, maybe because of a variety of reasons that we can't even explain, we realize Saturday is a place that we want to come and engage God in worship, in corporate worship experience, and that God is drawing people to Saturday. And so we launch it, and immediately people begin to respond and worship, encouragement. And 14 months later, the church has grown 15%. And when we look at the stats, it doesn't make sense, except that God really has done some things here on Saturday night and in some other places to alleviate and to allow some room so that more new faces can come in both here and on Sunday. For those of you who were willing to do that, thank you for making that happen. For many of you who started in that process, you've fallen in love with this, and it's like this is just who we are now, and that's really cool. We followed God in that encouragement. And, you know, I could add 10 more stories on that narrative as to how I've personally seen God show up along this particular journey. And specifically how when God has led us to new, he has encouraged God was leading Joshua to a new battle, a new day, a new challenge. But his words from the beginning were meant to give Joshua great confidence. As a matter of fact, his words to Joshua were almost identical to the words that he gave multiple times prior to this moment. 
When he talked to the 12 spies heading into the promised land. Whenever God is speaking to Moses as leadership was being passed over to Joshua. To the Israelites at the death of Moses. What does God say in all of those scenarios? He says, do not be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Tonight, maybe what God is saying to you are those words. Don't be discouraged. Don't be afraid. I want to help you gain victory in that habit that's been eating your lunch. I want to join you in a battle plan that is going to win back the part of your life that the enemy has gained way too many victories in lately. I want to help you on that mission, that mission that involves your neighbor who hates God, or that mission that involves your spouse or your child who have been making really bad choices lately, and you've just got to figure out how to love in the midst of difficult. Maybe the difficulty of loving or even liking that person. And maybe tonight what you need to hear more than anything else is to just not be afraid or discouraged. What, what isn't written here, as a matter of fact, but God is heavily implying to Joshua is, listen, buddy, you are a man of great faith. And you know what? A really awful thing happened in the battle of Ai. I get that. I do. But you got to get your eyes out of the rear view mirror and look straight ahead. And yes, I get it. The last time that you looked straight ahead, you lost. But you also underestimated the battle, and there was sin in the camp. And you were not lined up for victory. But listen, we are going to win this thing. So he speaks to Joshua about this moment. And he begins to describe to him what's going to happen. I'm going to go back to my doodle here. And what I will show you is... Uh, we are now defeated right here, 36 dead. He's given new encouragement, and here's the new battle plan. Here's what I want you to do, Joshua. I want you to hang tight right about here with some people, but I also want you to send this group, and this is where it gets a little confusing. Uh, commentators are not real sure exactly what this looked like, but some believe that there were two different sets of groups that came in, one at about 25,000, one at about 5,000, that are right over here in this area. And what happens is, right between Bethel and Ai, there's two different groups. And they, this group in the morning, led by Joshua, comes down into this little valley right here that's actually between below sea level and about 1,000 feet up where Ai was, where they can see them and they begin to turn around and run away. It almost it has a bit of a Monty Python look to it, really. And so... The people of Ai go, oh, they want a little bit more, and they're scared. Well, you know what? We're just going to teach them another lesson. And so they head out the door, most all of them, right? And they come down, and when they get close to the army, Joshua turns around, and at the same time that that's happening, this group right over here of 25,000 invades the city and starts to own that city and come into their backside right here. It is believed that there's this other contingent of 5,000 that kind of hung out right here in this ravine because Ai was probably an outpost city of Bethel. 
And so when Bethel realized AI was in trouble, they started sending soldiers. And this group of 5,000 said, nope, I don't think so, and takes them out off to the side over here. We don't know about that battle through the scripture, but we believe that took place because Bethel is also described as being destroyed in this moment. And so, boy, it's really hard to see at this point. But <laughs> what, what happens is that it's, it's, a, it's a mess, and AI actually gets taken. They win. And not only do they win, they come up north to do a little bit of a celebration that we're going to come back to in a minute. Here's the instruction that was given. Here's what it actually looks like in Scripture. The Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid or discouraged. Take the whole military force with you and go attack Ai. Look, I have handed over to you the king of Ai, his people, city, and land. Treat Ai and its king as you did Jericho and its king. You may plunder its spoil and livestock for yourself. Set an ambush behind the city. So Joshua and the whole military force set out to attack Ai. Joshua was like the 30,000 fighting men and sent them out at night. He commanded them, pay attention, lie in ambush behind the city, not too far from it. And all, you, all of you need to be ready. And I and all the people who are with me will approach the city. And when they came out against us to fight for the first time, we will flee from them. They will come after us until we have drawn them away from the city. For they will say they are fleeing from us before. While we are fleeing from them, you are to come out of your ambush, seize the city. For the Lord your God has handled, handed it over to you. After taking the city, set it on fire, follow the Lord's command, see that you do as I have ordered you. For Joshua, this is a pretty specific game plan, wouldn't you say? And at this point, it's very tempting to just go, yeah, that's great. I wish God would do that for me. I'd really appreciate some very specific directions on what I'm facing right now. If I could just wake up and have that battle plan for this issue, I am going to be good as gold. You know, God related to Joshua in that way, in that moment, because it was right based on history. Granted, Joshua had the law. He knew the blessings and the curses. He had some history of God that, um, <clears throat> that God at work, some in oral tradition, some uh, written down. But the written word of God was barely in the making, right? And now we are on the other side. We have the finished love letter from God. The big God story is right here. And I think sometimes we can get pretty caught up in trying to figure out God's will. That specific plan. Well, I don't, what does he want to do? And we get neutralized. So I, I don't know. I, don't, I can't see it. It's not, it's not detailed enough. Tell me exactly what to do, God. And I think on most days, it looks less like the detailed battle plan that Joshua received and more like Baylor football. Stay with me here. I want you to listen to this quote from a recent article about head coach Art Bryles. Baylor coach Art Bryles abandoned the playbook several years ago, and he and his assistants teach their players the fast-paced spread offense through countless repetitions in practice. Abandon the playbook. RG3, Nick Florence, Petty, no playbook. They're in the game because of countless repetitions in practice. They run the offense. It's not about knowing ahead of time the detailed strategy of what is going to happen. Yes, they have signals from the sidelines. Yes, they have a no-huddle offense most of the time. And they do run plays. And for some of you, you may go, that just seems like semantics to me. And for others, the moment that I said football, you checked out even either because you're a woman or you hate football or Baylor or something. 
But I want you to hold on for a minute because the point I'm trying to make is that the success on the field is being directly attributed in this article to repetitive practice time spent with the coach. The game situation looks a certain way right now. Okay, how does the quarterback respond? Well, he responds in this way because he knows the heart and mind of the coach. How do we get into the heart and the mind of the coach? Countless repetition. Time with him. Jeremiah 33.3. Call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and incomprehensible things you do not know. And then in the game of life, how does it look? I remember one of my students came up to me one day and she's like, I'm the only Christian in my home. My parents are not believers. My brother is not a believer. My sister is not a believer. And this week, Randy, she came on a Wednesday night and told me this. She said, Randy, this week, I got it. I figured it out. I figured out what God wants me to do. I've been so frustrated at the way my parents act. And I realized my plan of action he's given me is to love them. God's been teaching me about love. And I just got to love them. Within a couple of weeks, her brother Brian was in the hallway and I led him to Christ. And a couple of weeks after that, Marianne's mother and sister were both led to Christ by her. And can I just tell you that it was not a detailed battle plan of action that was written on Marianne's wall. It was countless repetition at the feet of Jesus in prayer and in his love letter where he just kept saying, Marianne, (laughs) I gave you a brain. I gave you creativity. I gave you abilities. Use them all. Just love them, and I'll show you how it works. Don't you have anything else for me in the playbook, God? Um, Okay, if you're calling this the playbook, yeah, I got a lot. And I want to show you my heart and my mind. Joshua's experience also reminds us that when God is leading us to something new, not only does he provide encouragement and instruction, but he also gives us promise. Check this out. Joshua 8.1, the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid or discouraged. Take the whole military force with you and go attack Ai. Look, I have handed over to you the king of Ai, his people, city, and land. Promise, it's going to be done. And the Lord said to Joshua, hold out the sword in your hand toward Ai, for I will hand the city over to you. So Joshua held out his sword toward it. What does Hebrews 10, chapter 35 and 36 say? It says, don't throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. Don't throw away your confidence. I know you got hit by the piano. I get it. But don't throw away. Don't be discouraged. Don't be afraid. Because hear this. You have great reward for you need endurance so that after you have done God's will, you will receive what has promised. And you want to know what happens? Then the promises of God become anchors in the heart of the leader. And I begin to say, as a leader who leads out in the battle that God has in front of me, I can endure this because God said this. My favorite verse in all of Scripture, Philippians 1.6, I am confident of this very thing, that he who began in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. 
I'm going to fall. I'm going to fail. The piano is going to cream me at times. But God, you started this work and you aren't giving up and neither am I. And so in this new work that you've given me, I am going to be encouraged by you, God. And I am going to be instructed by you, God. I am going to receive those promises and walk in those. But I am also recognizing that I am going to have everything I need for victory from you, God. Joshua 8, 7, and 8. You are to come out of your ambush and seize the city. For the Lord your God has handed it over to you. Military strategists have watched and looked and studied. Secular military strategists have looked at this battle and they have strategized and figured out ways that, you know, this could and have happened and how it helps them and their whatever. And can I just tell you this? Many people have looked at this and said, the only way this really makes sense is that the eyes of Ai were blinded at different times. 30,000 people just feet from the walls of the city and they didn't see them. The city's up on a hill and everywhere you look, you've got armies all around you and you don't recognize that they're... And God doesn't give us the complete story here, but I think there's something between the lines here whenever God says, for the Lord your God has handed it over. After taking the city, set it on fire, follow the Lord's command. See that you do as I have ordered you. I'm going to give you everything you need for this new thing. It's amazing to watch God work. It's amazing to watch God work in, in a church plant, right? I mean, this church was a church plant. And if you go back into the history and you see when this church had nothing, Ron, our senior and founding pastor, meets up with the Brocks. And there's relationship there that's encouragement and resources. Some of you may not know, there's a third of our staff, that office, still in the back of the Brock's property. The church needed a worship leader. Michael Armstrong, who's with us again now in our church, was in the very beginning one of the worship leaders that God brought into the mix to fill that role over 10 years ago. When the church had nothing, God was providing resources for victory. I was in a conversation with a mom this month, and it, it, it seemed as if... She was feeling at the very end with a particular child. Very difficult situation. Can I tell you right now, though, she's not giving up on that child. Why? Because she believes God is going to give them what they need to see the victory come. To see God's amazing plans for her child come to fruition. This story in their life is in process and she realizes that and is walking in that hope. And I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but I know this. In that mom's heart, she is trusting God. That new avenues of help and healing are on the way. I told you a while back about a small group that I was a part of. And infidelity shows up, rears its ugly head in the midst of the group. And that couple has been completely restored. You know, people enter and exit marriages left and right in our culture. Divorce is real and easy and devastating, and it has greatly impacted our world, right? And um, my responsibility is not to stand up here with some finger pointing going, ooh, please hear my heart. What I'm going to say is that I can tell you of multiple stories where biblically marriages should have justifiably ended. The excuse was there. Yet through the supernatural work of God, Couples received everything they needed to see victory in their relationship. 
and I can line up couple after couple. We've done that for you on this stage. Why do you say that, Randy? Because we've got to remember that battles lost have not been the result of a God who didn't care or couldn't make it happen. God is big enough. In him, we have everything we need for victory. But that truth takes us to the last point. And it's the real reason why we so often, as the cowboys do, snatch defeat out of the jaws of victory. (laughs) Joshua's experience reminds us that when God is leading us to something new, that we are responsible for actions of obedience and attitudes of gratitude. What does verse 3 say? Verse 3 says, And Joshua whined to the Lord, but we already lost to them once. Can't we go around? I mean, uh, the, the north option looks really good. You know, I was just really thinking that that would be just fine. No, that's not what he did. It says, So Joshua and the whole military force set out to attack Ai. I will obey. Now, delay is disobedience. We don't like it when it happens with our kids, right? Come on, let's go. We got to go. We got to go. We get it. You need to put all those toys up. Oh, I'm watching. I'm watching this show. You got to put all. When we come back, the room's got to be all clean. We got. We're going to be leaving when we come back. People are going to be coming over the house. It's got to be cleaned up. Okay, just five more minutes. You got to do it right now. Uh, you, you don't understand. I don't know if the homeowner's policy actually covers Lego injuries. We've got to get this taken care of. Delay, 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 and we don't like that when our kids treat us that way, do we? And yet, for some reason, we think, oh, God's just fine when we do that to him. Randy, I hear you, God. I'm really going to get to that. That wasn't Joshua that day. As a matter of fact, let's see what happens. Not only did we know, did we know that he obeyed, let's, let's, see, let's see what he did. At that time, Joshua built an altar on Mount Ebal to the Lord, the God of Israel, just as Moses, the Lord's servant, had commanded the Israelites. He built it according to what was written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones on which no iron tool had been used. Then they offered burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed fellowship offerings on it. There on the stones, Joshua copied the law of Moses, which he had written in the presence of the Israelites. All the Israel, all Israel, foreigner and citizen alike, with their elders, officers, and judges, stood on either side of the ark of the Lord's covenant, facing the Levitical priest who carried it. As Moses, the Lord's servant, had commanded earlier, half of them were in front of Mount Jezerazim and half in front of Mount Ebal. To bless the people of Israel. Afterward, Joshua read aloud all the words of the law, the blessings as well as the curses, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded that Joshua did not read before the entire assembly of Israel, including the women, the little children, and the foreigners who were with them. He fulfilled what Moses had told them to do. And I find this a little interesting. You know when Moses told them to do that? When you cross over the Jordan. They fought. Three battles, one, two, lost one. Had the whole issue with Achan, who was, you know, Achan for his sin. All that happens. And you know what? They had not done what God told them to do right when they came across the river. Interesting. I wonder what would have been spared. I wonder what they would not have had to go through. 
had they gone straight to the mountain at the base of two different mountains in this amphitheater-type setting where Joshua was commanded to stand there and speak the blessings of God and the curses of God and to offer those sacrifices, the sacrifice for sin. It's kind of like how Ron talks about Rock Point. It's kind of like, wow, we got a whole bunch of former Catholics that have come in, a whole lot of bunch of Baptists that have come in, and it's just crazy, and everybody in between, right? And it's almost like it was set up for just a moment like that. It was like Rock Point between the mountains because you got, you got uh, the whole uh, sacrificial thing going on here where uh, all of the offering is completely obliterated, right, for the confession of sins, the confessional. There's the Catholics. And then you got uh, the, the, the sacrifice where they actually eat all the meat. There's the meal. There's the Baptist, okay? So you got both of them coming together. And in that moment, what are they doing? They're saying, God, we realize it's not about us. It's all about you. It's not about us. It's all about you. I wonder if they had looked at AI with the thought, it's All about you, God. It's not about us. It's really not. It's about you, God. Huh. Well, he eventually got there. And he obeyed. And he did what Moses had told them to do. Joshua's experience shows us that in new plans, in new days, with new opportunities... God gives us encouragement and instruction, promise, everything we need for victory. But he also reminds us, you got to take a step of obedience. And you got to keep that attitude of gratitude. Will you pray with me? God, thanks for reminding us with uh, a doodle app and your word that it's all about you, that it's not about us. And God, may we not make the mistake of Joshua and attempt to go into battles not obeying the last thing we heard you say. And so, God, we're listening to you right now. And for some of us, you're reminding us of what you mentioned to us a while back. And that's cool. That's fine. We need it. (laughs) For others of us, we are seeing fresh new opportunities, moments in front of us that we see. It's an opportunity. It's a challenge, it's a problem, it's an issue, it's a whatever. And God, we see it. And God, right now, we're going to say to you, we receive that encouragement that we are not going to be discouraged or afraid. We're not going to look in the rearview mirror. We're going to look straight ahead. And God, we're going to be ready for the instructions that you give and the promises that you've made so that we can see victory that you want to bring in that thing whatever that is. And God, for others of us in the room, we we might not know what that thing is, but I know this, it's going to come. And so in the meantime, we know what you've called us to do is sit up camp between those two mountains of confession and thanksgiving. And remember that we are not and you are. It's in that attitude of worship that we end this time with as we take communion, as we remember the sacrifice your son made on our behalf on the cross, as we give tithes, as we end this moment. Thank you for reminding us of who you are as we worship you.